We are continuing our series called Love God, Love People. And uh, the, the, the launching pad for everything that we have been talking about is, uh, is found in, in Matthew chapter 22. So uh, if you want to turn there, look at Matthew chapter 22 with me, starting in verse 35. And uh, he says, it says this, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? So he's, he's asking Jesus, uh, of the 600 plus laws that are in the Old Testament, what sums this whole thing up? If you took the whole thing and you, and, you're, and, and, what, and you were trying to sum it up in one statement, one thing, one idea, what would it be? And th- that's what's happening here. And Jesus said to him in verse 37, he said to him, you shall, you shall love the Lord your God. Now, he said a lot more after that, but we're going to stop there today because we've spent the last several weeks talking about what it means to love. And we, we've had a, had a lot to talk about because uh, our culture, when we talk about love, it's really weird. We, we have this really strange thing. You can throw that word at just about anything in our culture. You can love your wife. You can love your husband. You can love your dog. You can love your food. You can love sports. You can love your car. You can love your new phone. And you can love your hair. Now, surely we don't mean the same thing with all of those things, right? Surely we don't. So we launched into a, a study on the Hebrew idea of love, which has its root in the word raya. And raya leads to ahava, and ahava leads to dod. Now, if you haven't heard that, you can go back and listen to the previous messages, and the, you'll explain all of those things, but that's very important. So what I want to talk today about is we've talked about love. Now I want to turn our attention to the recipient of that love, of that raya, of that ahava, of that dod, or in the New Testament, of that agape, that all-encompassing love. Who is the recipient of that love. Now, already we have another problem that we have to address right, right away. If we, if we want to understand this whole thing, love the Lord your God, we, 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 we have a problem because that word Lord is a strange word for us Americans. Because we don't have lords in our culture, right? I mean, you don't walk around saying, oh, Lord Bryant. Although I'm sure he would love that. Uh, but uh, but we, we don't do that. We don't have that. So we have to look into it. We have to dig it a little deeper to be able to understand what's being said here. And there is a lot of weight in this little phrase, the Lord your God. In fact, let me tell you how weighty it really is. The word Lord is actually from a Hebrew word that we pronounce Yahweh. It's really, I don't believe it's really supposed to be pronounced because it's the first initials of each word. When, when God said, I am that I am, the first initials of each word in, in Hebrew, but we, and we'll, and we'll pronounce it this way for us today because it's easier to talk about. We, we pronounce that word Yahweh, uh, which by the way, in the Old Testament, anytime, how many of you notice that sometimes the word Lord is just normal letters and other times it has Lord and it has all capitals? Whenever it's all capitals, that's a sign that tells you that that was that word Yahweh that was used there. It's always translated, always use the capital letters on all the, all the word Lord. But, but when you look at that in the Old Testament, Yahweh is mentioned 7,000 times. And when you understand that the simple word for God is only used 2,600 times, then that gives you some insight into the, into the significance of this word. There's something going on here that we need to check out. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want us to look at what's going on when we, in, calling the, in calling God the Lord. 
So Exodus chapter 5, if you want to turn there, it's where we're going to be. And while you're turning there, let me just kind of catch you up on the story where we're we're going to be reading. The background is God comes to Moses and he says, he says, listen, Moses, I want you to go and I want you to tell the most powerful, most ruthless man on planet Earth to do what I say. And for some reason, Moses has a problem with that. Uh, For some reason, he argues and argues and argues. He has this whole line of excuses why he shouldn't do that. I'm not a good speaker. I'm a coward. And then eventually, you know, in a nutshell, God says, take your brother and go. So Moses comes in to Pharaoh and he says, Pharaoh, God Almighty says to let his people go or really bad things are going to happen. And Pharaoh says, I don't really know your God. In fact, I'm offended that you would come and get in my face with all of this stuff. And so I'm going to show you my power by making things far worse for your people. Now, Israel had been making bricks. Pharaoh would would provide straw to them and they would mix the straw with the mud and they would make bricks. Except now Pharaoh goes, he says, I want more bricks than ever before. Only now I'm not going to provide the straw. You have the straw, the straw. Is anybody hungry? (laughs) He says, now I'm not going to supply the straw. You have to to go out and you have to cut the straw yourself and make make more bricks than ever before. So now the Israelites are forced into even more intense labor, much harder work. So at the end of the day, the leaders of Israel come to Moses and they just blast him. They're looking at him and they're going, what have you done? You've come to give us freedom? Let me tell you what you brought us. You put a sword in Pharaoh's hand. You may as well have, have asked him to kill us on the spot because what you've done is going to kill us. And so after this conversation, Moses goes back and he has a talk with God. Now, I love Moses because the only uh, one in Scripture who complains more often than Moses is Jeremiah. In fact, I want you to pay, pay attention to his language here because in, in really what Moses is doing, he's going to accuse God by asking God questions. Because it's safer to do that because God can kill you. And so look here, Exodus chapter 5, verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. So you see, he's, he's asking questions, but he's not really asking questions. He's not really wanting answers. He, he's, he's making an accusation against God. It's, and, and it's not like God is hearing this and saying, oh, you know, you're right. Well, let me do this. And, but, but he's accusing God, really, of being a liar, of saying, you said you were going to do this, and you're not doing it. In fact, it, not only is it not happening, but the opposite is, ha- is happening. There's even more bondage being placed on them. So let's keep going. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will send them, uh, he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name is the Lord. I did not make myself no, uh, uh, but, but my name the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now, there's something huge going on here, and we're going to spend most the majority of our time here on this, but uh, God is making a distinction here between who he is as God Almighty and who he is as Yahweh. 
He's saying, listen, I came to Abraham and I came to Isaac, I came to Jacob and I revealed myself to them as God Almighty. I did not come to them as Yahweh, I came to them as God Almighty, but I have come to you as, 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 the, as I am, as Yahweh. So I want us to dive into the distinction between God Almighty and, and Yahweh and help us understand what that means for us. The, the title, starting with God Almighty, the title God Almighty carries a lot of weight. The, the fact that He is God Almighty leads us to a few deductions that are, that are very, very weighty. To start with, and it's the simplest of all, He is. God is. And if we're not careful, we're going to hurry past that. And we're not going to dwell on that like we really need to. Because you have a God who is actively speaking to mankind. He really is. He's not just some distant idea. He's not some God who is out there in the distance. And the reason I think we need to unpack that a little bit and think about that and be aware of that this morning is because for most of us, God is a lot like oxygen. Now... Here's what I mean by that. If I took a poll in here this morning, I think it would be unanimous that everyone in here believes that oxygen exists. Right? I mean, does anybody here think that oxygen is just a conspiracy of the man? You know, anybody here think that? Okay, no, I'm glad to see that. I would venture to guess that very few of us, uh, however, leaned back in our chair this morning and went, Ah, oxygen. I love oxygen. I doubt you did that. Who, who would I be without oxygen? How would I function without oxygen? Thank God for oxygen. Without oxygen, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't think. I couldn't walk. Without oxygen, I would cease to function. Oh, I love oxygen. You see, although we believe, maybe even passionately, in oxygen, I would guess that we don't spend a lot of time dwelling on it. We don't spend a lot of time thinking about it. And I think we've gotten in that same place with God a lot of times, where we all agree that He is, but there's very little thought, there's very little praise, very little exaltation for all that He brings just by being. So, you know, the, the funny thing is that men fi find a uh, newfound respect for oxygen after they've been underwater for about 45 seconds. Suddenly, suddenly we remember how good and how wonderful oxygen is at that moment, don't we? So intrinsic within this idea that he is God Almighty is this, this idea that he really exists, that he is. And because he is, that's significant. But it gets deeper than that. I would say also it means that he has no genetic code. He didn't pick up any personality traits from a parent. How many of your parents have watched your children and, and, and when they're growing up, sometimes they, they do something and you look at them and you say, you look at your spouse and you say, oh, that's you. Has that ever happened to you? Anybody here? Or maybe you look at them and they do something else and you say, oh, well, that's all me. You know what? The truth is no one has ever, ever looked at God, and, uh, the father, and he, nobody's ever looked at God and said, well, you know what? He's just like his dad. Nobody's ever said that because he has no beginning. There is no one who has ever fed into him in any way whatsoever. Third thing is this. He is, he is lacking in nothing. No one has ever given him anything. How can you give something to someone who is the creator and owner of it all? Isn't that right? 
you, you can't give to him. He's never, he's never looked at something and said, oh man, I want one of those. I hope I get one of those someday. He's not lacking in anything. The next is that there's no higher authority to whom we can call, uh, who, who we, whom we can complain. You know, no one can rightly shake their fist at God. Now they can shake their fist at God, but they cannot rightly shake their fist at God and accuse him of being unjust. He owes nothing to any man. He is God Almighty. It also means that he is inexhaustible. He does not grow tired or weary. Surely if we thought about that long enough, we would understand how amazing it is that he never grows tired. Listen, I am 57 years old, turned 57 last month. I know it's shocking. I look much younger, but uh, don't laugh. Don't laugh. You're hurting my feelings. But anyway, I'm 57, and I'm just here to tell you that some things are starting to happen. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you that are a little bit older, you know what I'm talking about. I remember not, uh, not too long ago, I remember even specific instance, I remember going to a church picnic a few years ago, a 4th of July church picnic, and the weather was perfect. Uh, in, in fact, the weather was so good that I got out there with some of the guys, and I started throwing the football around, and that turned into frisbee, and that turned into volleyball, and I'm telling you, I had a blast all day long, but it wore me out, and then I was sore for days after that. But, you know, the truth is, I used to be a pretty energetic guy who never got tired. You know, I could play football, softball, or basketball for hours on end. I remember playing in a, in a, a 48-hour softball tournament where, where uh, games were, went for 48 hours without a break. I remember doing that. Now, I run 15 yards, and there's a good chance I might die. At least it feels like that, you know. I mean, I can, in that moment, I feel my pulse everywhere. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and I'm looking at that and I think, when did this happen? When, when did I turn that corner? I don't remember that day. But, but, you know, surely you've been in that place where physically you just can't go on anymore. You, you've used up all of your physical strength and you just can't keep going. Surely you have been tired emotionally. Surely you've been to that point where you're, you're just done, where you're just so exhausted emotionally that it's hard for you to even listen to the radio because if the wrong song comes on, you're going to tear up and break down in, you know, in sobs at that moment. Surely you've been in that place spiritually where you feel like you've been in the desert for 41 years. And I say 41 years because it feels like we've been there longer than Israel. You know, surely you've been in that place where you're just going, Lord, just come quickly. I don't know how much longer I can do this. See, we've all grown weary. And yet God never does. He never yawns. He, He never stretches and says, oh, man, that was about all I could do. He never tires. He, and just compare what you do with what he does. You know, what do you do? I don't care what, you know, you could, be, you could be a contractor who works 28 hours a day. That's a hard thing to do. But compared to what he does, he holds the universe together with the word of his mouth. And he doesn't even yawn. Another thing about him being God Almighty is that he, he, he the Bible says he's unchanging. Unchanging. Who he was 500 years ago is who he'll be 500 years from now. The Bible also says that he never grows old. The Bible says that 
all of creation obeys him. From the wind to the sun to every star in the sky, not one part of creation outside of mankind even thinks about arguing with him. He says, do it, and it does it. Another is that he alone controls life and death. You know, right now, in front of you, he could stop my heart simply by thinking it. Just, just, and there'd be no one here who would be right in claiming it to be unjust. He controls life. He controls death. He's God Almighty. And this is just some of it. We could go on and on and on with God Almighty. But, but let me tell you why that can be horribly terrifying. Because on top of all these other things, he is a just judge. And I am a sinner. And you know, we're not even going to go to Romans chapter 1, which, which is just filled with, with all kinds of things that we could dive into. But, but let's just compare our lives to, to the Ten Commandments. You know, the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Strike one. Now, I've never knelt before a wooden image, but I have sure worshipped at some other altars. I've never been a Buddhist. I've never been a Hindu. But I have been an idolater because I have at times desired God's stuff instead of God himself. Strike one. You shall not lie. Strike two. And if you say, I ne- that's not me, strike three. <laughs> <laughs> honor your parents. Strike three. I mean, I've tried to honor my parents, but there have been many moments, especially, especially when I was 18 and I knew everything. <laughs> I wish I'd have fixed the world then, you know. Strike three. Don't covet. Strike four. Oh, we get to, you shall not murder. We're like, oh, okay, well, I got that one good. Except that Jesus says that you, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. But if anyone has harbored anger in his heart, he's guilty of the same sin. Strike five. See, I'm guilty before God Almighty, just as you are. And that's terrifying because, because how, do I, how do I protect myself against God Almighty? How do I protect my, my soul from God condemning me to hell? After all, I'm, I'm worthy of His judgment. I've broken every one of the commandments in one way or another. How do, I, how, do I, how do I fight Him? How do I defend myself against Him? Because, listen, if He wanted me and my family dead, He just need think it and we're dead and there wouldn't be any one of you who could protect me from what God wanted to do. If he wanted to, he could wipe any memory of me from the face of this earth by simply thinking it. It it can be terrifying when you think about that. I mean, have you ever thought about what it would be like to stand in front of him or or what it would be like if you died right now? see, See, with just the idea of God Almighty alone, this is a terrifying idea. It's a terrifying idea. Which is why nobody wants to talk about it, teach it, or embrace it. We... We, we want the freely God who, who loves everyone but, and not the God that can kill everyone. We, we want the God of the New Testament, but we, we don't want to deal with the flood. It's funny, we turn the flood, we turn it into a children's story. That's always cracked me up. You know, we decorate our nurseries with it. Kids' rooms have rainbows and animals in the ark and everything. I just, what do you do? You just take them and lay them down at night and say, this is the time when God killed everybody. Have a good night. Sleep good. You know, I don't know. Sorry, I, I digress. You know, the truth is, I, I, we, 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 I would say we don't even want him to be righteous because if he's righteous, he judges righteously, which means we're all in a whole bunch of trouble. So, so he, comes to, 
as, as God Almighty to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and now he's going, he's saying, listen, don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that that's who I am. Don't ever forget my power. Don't ever forget my holiness. Don't forget that I am God Almighty. But now I'm going to reveal more of myself to you, Moses. This is what he's saying. He's saying, he said, I, I came to them as God Almighty. That's how they knew me. But they didn't know me by this name. Now I'm going to show you more of whom I, who I am, more of myself. Not only am I God Almighty, but I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And let me show you what that means. Look at, look at verse, verse 4 with me. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from underneath under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. So here's what he's saying. He's saying, I am God Almighty. Everything is mine. I control it all. I have all power and, and, by, uh, and all my might and all my power and all my strength is going to be used. I'm going to use it to glorify my name by bringing you into freedom. You see what he's saying there? He's saying to the Israelites, he's saying, I am God Almighty. I own everything and all of the power that I possess. I'm going to glorify my name by bringing you into freedom. Now right there, there there are two ideas that do not contradict one another. They work in unison and we need both to see God correctly. We need both to see God correctly. Here's what I'm saying. He is God Almighty who wars on our behalf in order to lead us into freedom. He is God Almighty who wars on our behalf in order to lead us to freedom. How does He do it? He says, I'll do it with an outstretched hand. I think one of the things that happens in church, and we've talked about this recently, so we have this really ambiguous us thing, this, this really you know, kind of umbrella that covers us all. And so we say God loves us or, or God has forgiveness. He offers forgiveness for all of us. But we sometimes have a really hard breaking that down to me. You know, God loves me. God forgives me. And, and what's happening here in this text, he's saying, listen, with outstretched hands, I'm using my might in your life, leading you to freedom, using my sovereignty, using my control over all things in order to woo you into freedom. Now, we need to hear this because of the context in which we find these verses, because where the Israelites are, this is a very, very dark place. They're living in slavery. And we see God in His mighty, mightiness using difficulty and sorrow to woo His people into freedom. Listen, I want you to hear this. This is, this is so important because, because, see, we get this idea that if we follow Jesus, everything will be easy, everything will be simple. But I want you to know God will use sorrow to save. He will use sorrow to save. I mean, put it like this. When do you find it easier to pray? You find it easier to pray when everything is spectacular? 
when there's romance and there's that, there's that emotional, ah. Or is it when you're in that place going, I just don't know if I even want to stay here. When do you pray? When do you find yourself desperately seeking the grace of God? When do you pray the hardest? Is it when your body is functioning, functioning properly or when parts begin to fail? Is it when you can pay all the bills every month or, or when you don't know how you're going to make it this month? So, so there, he uses sorrow to help us bring, come back to him to, to save us. But, but it's not always through sorrow. Don't, don't misunderstand me. He also does it through joy. He also does it through joy. There's something that happens when we experience the full joy of what God meant life to be. When we experience the full joy of what God life, meant life to be, we develop then an insatiable hunger for more of it. I mean, have you ever been in that room where the presence of God was just so thick, you know, and, and so real? You just didn't want to leave? Tell me there's not just an insatiable thirst for more of that. In your marriage, that moment where everything was beautiful, and, and where candles are lit and the stars are in the sky and everything was working and you, you felt emotionally there and physically there and spiritually there, tell me you didn't walk away from that and the next day want more of that. You know, um, I'll, be, I'll be the first to tell you I've been in trouble for about 18 years. Because my two girls just own me. Any other dads out here, you know what I'm talking about? I, I don't get it. Listen, I am not a pushover, but my girls know how to work me. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I'm here to admit to you that in my lifetime, I have been manipulated by a three-year-old. And then like an hour later, I'm like, she got me. They know how to work me. You know, I, I remember times... For example, with Abby, you know, there were times when she was very small and Julie was trying to take her somewhere and she didn't want to leave. And so she would start pulling this thing. I want, no, I want daddy. I want daddy. And so, you know, I know she has to go. So I'm like out loud, I'm saying, no, you got to go with your mama. And inside I'm going, this is awesome. <laughs> right? Go with your mama. Stay as long as you want. Go with your mama. Thank you, Jesus. You know? And at that moment, it's a very pure, beautiful moment. But when it happened, I can't wait for it to happen again. I can't wait for it. It's a joy. And I want that again. You know, parents with grown children, tell me you don't want that again. Tell me that you don't want your child to bury their face in your neck and need you. No, you want it. See, he uses joy and sorrow to lead people to freedom. His goal for our life is freedom. That's what he wants for us. So after five weeks in this series, it's, it's really not about love after all. After five weeks, that's not the question. The question is, who is the recipient of your love? And I think that some of us are in love with a God that's not the God of the Bible. 
And, and that's, that's why we have to have these two ideas. That's why you have to have God Almighty and you have to have Yahweh. It's this respect and awe. In fact, you know, not even in the Hebrews would not even say the name Yahweh out loud for fear that they might take it in vain. That was the reverence of the Hebrew for this idea of Almighty God being for us. It was, it's a, it's a, it was a balance where it terrified them, and yet it also, excuse me, <clears throat> it also instilled in them great joy. So, so let me explain what I mean when I say that some of us love a God that's not the God of the Bible. Let me, let me start with this one. I think some of us love the policeman God. We love the policeman God. With the policeman God, you can be a very important person if you just do all of the rights and avoid all the wrongs. And it's, we see God as the policeman in the sky who's just out there trying to make sure you, 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 you keep the right list and avoid the wrong list. And we love the God that's just a policeman in the sky making sure we do right or wrong because if we can't obey his rules, then we can make much of ourselves. Haven't you known that person who, was, who, who worshiped the policeman God who was all about the rights and the wrongs and they, and they were careful to do all the rights and they lifted themselves up and they walked in horrible spiritual pride? Haven't you known that person? But see... That's a miserable God to love because there's no understanding of grace. You know, you know, there are those in this world who are born rule followers. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, some of you, you can even see it in your kids. There are kids who are born rule followers. Now, there are some, like I'd have to say I was more like this, who get absolutely beaten into submission by their parents, rightfully so. I'm not, I'm not disparaging my parents Honestly, I probably didn't get enough weapons. I've got away with too many things. But then there are some kids who just want to follow the rules. You know, they, they make good grades. They have good manners. They're rule followers. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. There's nothing wrong with that until it is attached to salvation where you say, if I follow the rules, then I'll be saved. Because eventually the rule follower fails to follow a rule. And the rule follower knows what's right and they don't do it. And when that happens, the world collapses around them and, and they end up running from God because they broke the law instead of running to God for his grace and mercy. So the one who loves the policeman God is, is in, a, in a lot of trouble. And the, really the irony in all of it is they will keep coming to church and they will keep following the rules on the outside even though their heart is cold and afraid. They'll keep pretending that they're following all the rules even though in their heart they know that they're failing so in the end it's this really horrible trap that we've almost found ourselves in where uh, almost all uh, all found ourselves in where we're pretending to love God but we're really far from him another God I think we tend to worship is where we worship God Almighty without worshiping him as what Yahweh what I mean by that is that we sit back going oh there's no way he could love me there's no way he could forgive me. There's no way he could ever rescue me or save me or heal me or lead me to freedom. There's just no way he could ever work like that in my life. But you know what we're doing then? When we do that, we begin to walk in idolatry because even that is about us. See, the policeman God is about me. I'm going to follow the rules. This God is about me. 
saying that I'm too bad. The focus is on us instead of on God. There's one other that I don't know what to call except I'll call it the church God. And it's where this whole thing is about Sunday. We love the God that loves, loves you because you've been to church every Sunday for the past 30 years. You know, if you go, just go to church on Sunday, then you're a good man, which is a great ambiguous term that can be defined in any way. And, and if you'll go do that, then, then God will love you. It's a, it's a really simple God to love because here's the thing about it. When you begin looking at life like this, you're always going to be able to find somebody who's worse than you. It's true. And, and if it's not somebody around you that you know, you just watch the news. You just watch the news. Ah, murderer. Murderer. Not a murderer. You see, there's, you're always going to find somebody that you're better than. But I, I would contend, though, that because the focus is not on God, but it's again on you, that there is no awe of God and therefore no real worship in that. Maybe the real question we need to, we need to ask is, not even whom do we love, but to ask ourselves, is that is the end result leading us to freedom? Because the reason I say that, we're going to close with this. The reason I say that is because if I'm pouring my love on the true God as he defines himself in scripture, then he will always be leading me to freedom. That's his goal for my life. He will always be leading me to freedom. However, if I'm loving a false God, if I'm, if I'm loving a God that is not the God of Scripture, if I'm loving the, a, a God that has been imagined in my mind where the focus is on me, if I'm lo- loving a false God, then that is always going to lead to bondage. So the question then becomes for us, are you walking toward freedom? Or are you stuck in bondage? That's the question. Are you getting there? I'm not asking, have you had a good day today? Or I'm not asking, are you happy right now? I'm not asking if it is working well for you. That's not what I'm asking. I'm asking, are you headed towards freedom? Do you see progress? Do you hate your sin? Does your sin bring you to tears? Or have you become comfortable with it? Are you further along in obedience today than you were at this time last year? Now, I'm not asking if you're doing it perfectly because none of us are doing it perfectly. I'm asking you, are you on your way? Are you moving forward? For example, in my marriage with Julie, I am painfully aware that Ephesians 5 commands me to love my wife as Christ loved the church. You know what that means? That means that I love, woo, and romance my wife regardless of how she responds to it. Ephesians 5 says, you love her no matter what. If she never responds like you want her to, you love her like I love you. See, we, we tend to want to love people, and if we get the right response, then we'll keep doing it. But, but, but that's not what this kind of love is. He says to me, listen, Dave, if you're going to be the godly husband, the man of God I want you to be, then you love your wife no matter what. And you know what? After 30 years, 30 years of marriage in May, this past May. Some days, I look at myself and I think, you know, I'm doing better. And in other days, I completely miss the mark. 
And on those days, the Lord jumps on me and says, hey, listen, this is a lesson we have been talking about for a long time now. But I am telling you, I'm moving toward freedom. I've been moving in that direction for a long time. Or how about Psalm 145? It says, one generation will commend your works to another. That means it's important that my daughters see my life and they see that I'm not any different up here than I am at home. Because if they see that I'm different at home than I am up here, I'm, all I'm doing is planting the seeds of rebellion. And that's not just for me as a, as a pastor behind the pulpit. That's true for any of us. If your child looks at you and says, you know what, they act different at church than they do at home, then you're planting the seeds for rebellion. And in a few years, you're going to reap the harvest and you're going to come to us and say, I don't know what happened. I don't know what I did. I don't know why my child is acting like this. But it's seeds that you planted long ago. But, you know, there are days when I do that really well. And then there are other days that sometimes they see a part of me that I don't want anybody to see. But those days are a lot less. I'm moving forward. Are we getting there? Are we closer? And I'm not asking if you're out of the desert because it was a 40-year process for the Israelites. And I, I know that brings no joy to anybody here. <laughs> 40 years you got to be kidding me but maybe that's the sorrow that will woo us into real life I don't know where you are in your journey I, I, I know that mine has been weird anybody else, else here have a weird journey mine's been weird I, I started out with such passion then all of a sudden you know in Bible college and as the years went on my head got really fat with theology and truth and then my heart got really tiny then when I started to get back there, my, heart was, my head was so huge that it made it difficult to drag myself back to where my heart was ablaze for God. I don't know where you are or what it looks like, but are you getting there? Are you getting there? Are, are there objective evidences that Yahweh, the Almighty God, whose might is for you, is growing you? Who is the recipient of your raya, of your ahava, of your dod? Is it the God? Is it a God, a false God who makes much of us? Or is it the God who is working towards our freedom? Can we worship in that? Can we find rest in that? That's the question I think we have to answer today. How do we place our love upon the God of the Bible? Well, I think it starts with an acknowledgement of who he is and that whether through joy or sorrow, he is after our good. He is after our freedom. That's what he's doing. That's what he's trying to do. That's what he wants for your life. Are you moving forward? That's the question. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the men and women that you've brought to this place this morning and those that may be watching online. It's a testimony of, of you being the Almighty, Lord. I, I, I just, Lord, I know this sounds like a strange prayer, but I thank you for the sorrow that's in this room because I believe that that will eventually bring a harvest of joy. I pray that, that you would just bring us hope and peace. I pray, God, that you would, you would just... Uh, Remove the ability that we have to, to lie to ourselves 
in this moment and that we would be able to look deep into our heart and, and we'd think about who do we love and are we worshiping the God of the Bible? Are we worshiping God Almighty and Yahweh? Are we worshiping the God of all power who is working toward our freedom, using all of his might to bring us to freedom? Do we love Yahweh or some God of our own invention? Do we love some freely God or some angry God instead of God Almighty who is for us? Lord, I thank you for our joys. Lord, I, think, I pray that we would begin to recognize those joys as reflections of, of the joys that you want for us in our walk with you, in our relationship with you, that those moments of joy with our children, that we'd realize that that's exactly the relationship you want with us. And I pray, God, that that joy would lead us into greater freedom. Lord, there's so much to be thankful for. And I just thank you, God, that we're in the process of being wooed into greater intimacy and deeper, richer life. And I pray, God, that you would give us the faith to stay the course, that we would keep moving forward. 